Now please stand for the reading of God's word. This morning, for the sake of time, I will be reading chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, and then I'll skip to verse 14, and then verses 1 in chapter 10, ending in verse 13. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphiah, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalashah and did not find them there. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but did not find them there. And they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with them, come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, behold, there is a man of God in the city, and he is a man who has held an honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. So they went up to the city, and they were entering the city, and they saw Samuel coming out towards them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. Now chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. And now skipping to verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your father finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me at Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you, offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And the man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he finished prophesying, he came to the high place. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. At Park City's Presbyterian Church, we say that we exist to extend the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ to Dallas and the world. Now, that is a great-sounding mission statement, but what really does it mean? What does it mean to extend the kingdom of Jesus Christ? The word kingdom appears in the Bible 320 times. 
54 of those occur in the Gospel of Matthew alone. The message of Jesus Christ in many ways was a message about his kingdom. Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon about life and the kingdom of God. This is what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done, as earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught in parables, every one of them about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. The word king appears in the Bible 2,316 times. The most important of all of them is found in the Gospel of John. Then Pilate said to Jesus, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. The truth is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is about a king and his kingdom. The problem for us this morning is that the idea of the kingship of God is very foreign to our ears. Now, this isn't just because we're Americans and we reject the notion of the tyranny of a monarchy. This is because you and I, if we're going to be honest, reject the kingship of God every single day. We pursue other kings and we seek to establish, we seek to build our own kingdoms, a kingdom of self, a kingdom of wealth, a kingdom of success, a kingdom of being well thought of, a kingdom of self-righteous. Every single day we are seeking to build a kingdom other than the kingdom of God. This is our story, and this is the story of Israel. They rejected the kingship of God, and they asked for another king. And God heard their cry, and he gave them what they wanted. This morning we're looking at the calling of Saul, the first king of Israel. And what we'll find is just because God gave Israel a king did not mean that he gave up ruling them. And the good news for you and me this morning is just because you and I pursue other kings and seek to build our own kingdoms, doesn't mean that God has given up on ruling over us. We see his reign and rule in three ways. Very briefly this morning, I want to look at them. The first is this. God rules us by his providence. Typically, when we speak of God's providence, we're talking about his sovereignty, his control, his authority. We see his providence on display as he calls Saul to be king. In verses 1 and 2, we learn a lot about Saul. We learn that he was the son of Kish, tribe of Benjamin. We also learn that he was handsome. He was a good-looking guy. And not only that, he was tall, a full head taller than any other person in Israel. Why are we told that? Because we're being given his resume. You see, the name Saul in Hebrew means asked for. It's a very prophetic name. 
Saul was the kind of king that the people would have expected. He was the kind of king that they asked for, a king who would rule them like every other nation. Handsome, strong, tall, and yes, he was foolish. And so what's so amazing is what happens next. How is it that God called Saul? We're told that Kish, Saul's father, lost his donkeys. You can't make this stuff up. He lost his donkeys, and so he says, hey, Saul, you got to go find these donkeys. And you need to take one of the servants with you, and you need to go search high and low because I want my donkeys back. And so Saul goes out, and he tries to find. He goes all over the Jewish hill country and can't find them anywhere. And just when he's about to give up, his servant says, you know what? We should go talk to Samuel. You see, Samuel's a prophet. I bet he knows where the donkeys are. Let's go find Samuel. If we find Samuel, then we'll find the donkeys. All the while behind the scenes, this is what we're told. Look at verse 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. And you shall anoint him to be prince Over my people, Israel. Okay, so what's going on? Saul thinks he's going to go find donkeys. But God is using a bunch of lost donkeys to bring Saul to Samuel so that he can be anointed as the first king of Israel. If this doesn't prove God's providence, I don't know what will. God in his providence, has the power to use a bunch of lost donkeys to inaugurate the monarchy in Israel. And I think most of us struggle with the idea of God's providence. For a lot of reasons, it's because we misunderstand it. A lot of us assume that God's providence means that God is cold, he's aloof, That he's just out there on the throne just making little things to happen like a puppet master. But if you know anything about the word providence, you know that it comes from the word provide. So God's providence is as much about his sovereignty as it is about his generosity. You see, the well of God's providence comes from the same well as his abundant provision. God does not work providence because he's cold, but he's working acts of providence because he cares deeply about every single detail. And so here's the question. Just how involved do you think God is in your life? Do you see him at work in every single detail, working all things together for your good, or do you assume that God is distant, that he is far off, that He only gets involved if he feels like he has to intervene. Where do you see God's hand at work? Because the truth is, God is at work in everything. Why? Because he cares. And if he can take a bunch of donkeys to build his kingdom, surely he can take a bunch of donkeys like you and me to build up the kingdom of God here and now. The second way we see his reign and rule is that he rules us by the Holy Spirit. 
We see this again in the way that Saul is anointed. I want you to look at chapter 10, verse 1. We're told that Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head. He kissed him. He said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over the people of Israel? Now, up until this point, people were anointed to be God's representatives, to be their servants. Up until this point, the only people in Israel who had ever been anointed were priests. From this moment on, kings were anointed too. So what is this saying? This is saying that a king is to be as much a representative of God as a priest is. But not only that, Saul was anointed king with oil as a picture of being anointed by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be turned into another man. Again in verse 9. And when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass. And when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him. What's happening here? The Holy Spirit rushed upon Saul. He was turned into another man. God gave him another heart. He began to prophesy. If we read this through the lens of the book of Acts, we would assume that this is the story of Saul's conversion. But that is not what is happening here. Remember, this is long before Pentecost. What is God doing in bringing the Holy Spirit to Saul? He is bringing the kingdom of God to the kingship of man. You see, throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is the manifestation of God's authority, his reign and his rule over all things. In the Old Testament, before Pentecost, that manifestation, the presence of the Holy Spirit was localized to individual people at individual times. So as Saul is being raised up as king, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Why? Because Saul is God's servant. He represents a greater authority. Not his own kingship, but the kingship of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the good news for you and me. In Acts chapter 2, at the miracle of Pentecost, that Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who ruled through Saul, was now given to the church. No longer just to a single man at a singular time, but given to every man and woman who professes faith in Jesus Christ. What does that mean for you and me this morning? It means that God has established his kingdom in our hearts. And now he reigns and rules over us, seeking to free us from the bondage of sin as our Savior. And so this is where we end this morning. The third way that God rules us, he rules us by his grace. In many ways, Saul's reign was very tragic. As we will see in the coming weeks, Saul was a blame shifter. He was a poor leader at times. He refused to take responsibility when he was wrong. He was foolish. He was immature. And eventually he rejected the word of God, and so God rejected him as king. And so for all of his faults, we have to ask, why did God give Saul, of all people, to be set up as the first king in a long line of kings? 
we see in verse 17. It's not in your bulletin. I want you to just listen. 1 Samuel 9, 17. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man whom I have spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Did you hear it? Why did God give the people of Israel a flawed king? Because he knew that Saul would restrain them. In Hebrew, that word is always used in a negative sense. To hold back, to constrain. What would the people of Israel need to be restrained from? They needed to be restrained from themselves. They asked for a king who would judge them like all the other nations, and God brought them exactly that. Through the reign of Saul, God judged his people. And over and over and over again with each passing king, God brought his judgment to bear. As they sought other kings, God gave them what they wanted in judgment. But what I want you to see, friends, this morning As God established the monarchy, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of Israel, not just out of his judgment, but out of his grace. You see, because after King Saul came King David. And after King Jeroboam, an evil king, there came the king of kings, King Jesus Christ. Except this king would not just be a judge he would also stand as our judgment. This king stood high on the throne. He looked down on all of us, you and me, and he gave his judgment guilty. And then he gave the sentence, death. But then this judge, this king, got down off of the judgment bench, came down off of his throne, and took the sentence for you and for me. The judge became the judged. And he died for you and he died for me so that all who would believe in him would have life. This great king, our king of kings, our king Jesus Christ, died and rose again and has invited you to be a part of his kingdom. And he's invited you to come feast with him at his table. You and I are a bunch of poor beggars who have no business being in the presence of the king. And yet our king rules over us with his grace and with his mercy, and he has prepared a feast, a feast for you and for me. And so this morning, if you know him as king, I invite you to now prepare your heart to come and submit yourself to his authority and his sovereign mercy as we come to his table. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that you would be with us as we come to your table, that we would feast, knowing that you, our great king and our savior, paid it all, that you, the judge, became our justice so that we could come and celebrate. May we do just that now in Jesus' name. Amen.